As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Muddy Knees Media. Listeners, the heating's on. It's getting darker and darker earlier and earlier, so why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week. For a mere 100 of your Scottish pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash scottishshow. Welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Coming up, it's the hateful eight for Hamilton. 300 fans at Dingwall and there's only one Kevin Gallagher. I'm Andrew Slavin, president of this podcast. I'm joined by my VP, Laura Brannan from Motherwell Football Club and the Secretary of Defence, Evshape, JJ Bull from The Telegraph. Hello, both of you. Yeah, no one's got rid of you yet, have they? <laughs> nah. <laughs> Can't Refusing get rid of me. To leave. Yeah, exactly. You cannot move me. I'm an immovable object. Um, we should say we're recording this um, on Monday the 9th of November, which is the 23rd anniversary of the day Dean Windus was sent off, not once, not twice, but three times, playing for Aberdeen against Dundee United. Um, do you remember this, JJ? It's a long time ago. Uh <laughs> How old have I been? Uh, Twelve or something. Yeah, it's nine ninety-seven, wasn't it? So yeah. I think I remember it happening. I wasn't there. I was at Tannadice, if I recall correctly. Um, but I seem to remember that. Dean Windass was good fun. He did stuff <laughs> like that. He scored a few good goals as well, Windass. And now his um his his Twitter's a bit weird, but yeah, yeah. no, he's, he's he's a good well, player. Yes, I remember the whole goal. And the playoff final, championship playoff final down in England. But this this incident, he was sent off after picking up two yellow cards. Then he said something to the referee, Stuart Dougal, on his way off. Um, so he was shown another red card. Then Windass kicked a corner flag before getting down the tunnel. Um, and that was another red card. So three in total. And he got a six-match ban and was fined two weeks' wages. Absolutely. Wow, what a moment. <laughs> Um, shout out to Stranard as well, everyone. Uh, they won their first game in a year against Cowdenbeath on Saturday in League Two. The last victory was was last November, in fact, where they were a League One club. Um, and Allo Athletic also um, were part of a fairly entertaining three-all draw 
with Dundee on Friday night in the Championship. Dundee not really having the best of starts in the Championship. But um, the second half of this podcast is going to be all about Serbia versus Scotland. So if you fancy an international fix like Laura does all the time, um, skip ahead. But first of all, we're going to start in the Premiership. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. One thing goes without saying is Brian always comes and carries the threat. Sometimes he goes with two up top. We'll have to see whether he decides to do that again. But he always poses a challenge to us. Whatever the result's been in the past, he's always carried the threat. So that was Stephen Gerrard on Friday. Um, glowing praise for the Hamilton manager, Brian Rice. What was the final score at Ibrox on Sunday? 24 <laughs> 8-0 to Rangers. Um, because Hamilton always carry a threat. We'll talk about uh, Rangers in a wee moment, but I think, you know, what 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 were Hamilton doing wrong here? I think I know what it is wrong. They were they were having a go <laughs> as is so often like the lament of people watching teams who don't take on the old firm, but they had a go. If you watch the goals back, almost all of them Rangers score while Hamilton are getting back into their defensive shape. Not necessarily in transition or the first phase of transition. But there are, you can see there are players getting back into the shape where they need to be mm-hmm. and they aren't there at the time. And then even when they manage to get into their shape quickly and Rangers build up, or their approach play, I should say, uh, there's still people trying to work out where they're meant to be. And Rice even said that uh, there were some players doing what they wanted them to do and some who didn't. Um, Which is but, weird, right? Because he also took like the blame as well in the same, same interview. But he named the team and I think he had them... I, I would imagine what he wanted to do was to have them sat as more of sit, sit deeper. They had a back five basically, so you think they'd be trying to block off block off any space they could. So if you've got two wing backs to try and negate the influence of Barisic and Tavernier, uh, three midfielders should be able to match the three in the middle, and then you get two mm-hmm. up top, you can hit a ball out two, and they have to be able to hold it up. But if you've got, I mean, at any given time, the most amount of players that should be getting forward in a move would be the two strikers and the probably one of the wing backs considering how yeah. well Rangers are playing home advantage doesn't exist anymore under Covid stuff so I think you can take that, a lot of that out <laughs> it reminds me when you play like five a side or something like that and you have <laughs> players who uh, don't see how important it's really nerdy but when you don't see how important just a little bit of defensive shape is as soon as the ball's turned over and you're not in the right place and people aren't working to get back behind it uh, you're in a lot of trouble and then they just get done in. And Rangers was so much better. So much better, man. Yeah, Rangers, man. Ra- Rangers were so much better. But even if it is Rangers, when you record zero shots on target, given the fact that Hamilton were the last team to score against Rangers um, at Ibrooks, it's really disappointing. When I'm saying like having a go, like I don't think teams who sit in and put up a block and then try to hit teams on the counter, it's not that they're not having a go. It's, there's... It's how do you explain it? It's like just because you're sitting deep doesn't mean you're not trying to win. You're not trying to score. And the problem that Hamilton had was too many players didn't understand. Uh, understand is kind of harsh. I mean, I'm sure they understand these boys. They're not, they're not stupid. But you can't just go forward and hope you're going to get create something. A few times they have the ball. When you have the ball, I think you have to be very patient and try and play the game, manage the game much better. Pass it around a little bit at the back to try and take some of the sting out of it. I guess the problem they've got is Rangers are so much better. They're pressing them so much higher up the pitch. They're putting them under all sorts of pressure and the players who need to be able to relieve the pressure aren't able to do it. It is an exact sign of how far ahead these two like clubs are. I mean, we'll come on to Celtic as well, but when you look at how um, Celtic and Rangers are in, in, in Europe during the week, I mean, Rangers did well against Benfica, obviously, but for Celtic to have, to have lost so convincingly 
but they are absolutely pumping most people in Scotland. It just shows you the, this real gap, and Hamilton just looked like a team of. This is like when you've, like, football manager. It's like when you've got a team you've had for a few years and you can't not lose. It's impossible to lose, especially when you're playing against a bad team. It's what happens. I think what's important and in a, a kind of positive thing for Rangers fans to look at is Rangers made five changes um, from the from the draw on Thursday going into this game. They were four 0 up at half time. It was eight 0 with twenty minutes still to play. They had Alfredo Morelos as an unused sub. I mean, this this goes to show how good the squad is for Rangers at the moment. And I take your point, JJ, about the fact that, you know, you could be set up as best possible you can be um, and still get done uh, by Rangers at the moment. So, I mean, how, how do Rangers have any weaknesses at all? Yeah, and, and they'll they'll get knocked at some point. I mean, the problem is them and Celtic, I mean, Celtic haven't lost so many games in however long, however many years, right? So the, both of them are so far ahead. Uh, but there'll be weaknesses there. I thought it was interesting that on who scored, that it's very rare to get a ten out of ten on who scored, mm. and both Roof and Tavernier got a ten. In fact, they were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players in the team of the week, all from Rangers. I mean, wow. Tavernier's a just a. I've said it before on this podcast. The season he's having, I just, I don't, I don't think I've ever known such a high scoring right back. I know it's mostly penalties, but it's mad, right? He's been sensational for them. Uh, you could argue he's an early contender for Player of the Year if you look at the Rangers team, and th- there are a few in this early stages as well. But he's not the only one. Roofs look good, Defoe's run teams ragged. Goldson as well, playing in defence with Tavernier, has been sensational this season. That they're, they're, I think Tavernier and Goldson together, they're, they're, their passing ability, their distribution, the confidence that they, they ooze, and you can sense that through the team as a result of them. I saw, I saw some crazy stat, what was it, that Rangers had played, they, they'd faced 20 different opposition this season and 13 of those teams have failed to register more than one shot on target against them. They're really well organised. That's, that's, that's crazy. That's Coaching so well organised. They've got drilled down, yeah. Like they, and they've got good players put in there, but the way they're organised is, they just look like the real deal. Like you get a good manager in there and you get decent players with a bit of time to form the team you don't just buy players to make a team. You have to wait. You coach them. You form it into what it is now, and that's the benefit of what you've got. It's uh, it's weird how like there were times maybe last season you're thinking, oh, is Gerard is this gonna come? Yep. Is this gonna come good? And uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, it shows patience has paid off um, for the Rangers board sticking with Gerard. And you do look, you look at how impressive Rangers are. Seven clean sheets now out of seven at Ibrox in the Premiership this season. Rangers are now nine points clear of Celtic, um, who still have two games in hand. If we look at Hamilton, it does seem like a downward trend this year. Is this going to be the year that they find it the hardest to stay in this division? I mean. I would say yes, but 2021 is a different year, and we're due some good news. <laughs> at Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends, so in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk, walk the dog, walk to the shops, go cycling, cycle the dog, recycle the dog, just go! All very good options, we say, and that's not the only one. If one leg of your four-plus-fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. 
This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Skipping away from Callum Lang. Inussi arrives! It is a hat-trick for Mohamed El Inussi. Panic over for Celtic. It was a turbulent week for Celtic. They needed a hero and Mohamed El Inussi answered the call. As the champions won 4-1 at Motherwell on Sunday lunchtime. It was three for El Yunusi after being on his phone, after being subbed off against Sparta. Chris Sutton, um, guys, said he should be fined two weeks' wages. And in probably the most ridiculous saying ever, um, Paul Lambert, former Celtic captain, said, you look at the lad El Yunusi on his phone, you're letting Celtic Football Club down, you're letting the great Jock Steen down, you're letting the Lisbon Lions down. I mean, is that not a bit? I mean, I've always thought as soon as this, as soon as I saw it, is it not a bit blown out of proportion before we get into the the Motherwell game? Yeah, see the the quote we can all laugh at, right? And it, the quote is very funny, but <laughs> no, what he did was really inappropriate. And in terms of football squads, it's so frowned upon. It's it's very disrespectful. So just to give you kind of context. Um, at Motherwell and I could have assume this is quite similar to most clubs players aren't allowed to have their phone anywhere outside of the dressing room with the exception of maybe in the gym for timing themselves um, and that's on a player by player basis so if players are walking about in the, the canteen or in, in the, the corridors or whatever and they're on their phones they get fined it's an instant right? fine wow. yeah. so for for Elianusi to not only have his phone on him at that time, which he shouldn't have had in his pocket, but to also look at it, you can see why the people like Sutton and Lambert who have been there and experienced this yeah, yeah, are saying, enough. this is a massive no, you just do not do this. That's interesting. Where was he even hiding it to take it up into the... It was in his pocket. I don't know, maybe in like a wee... What, did he have Amazon... it on the pitch? Well, it'd be funny could... if he had it on the well, pitch. <laughs> no, he was, he was on the stand. He'd been subbed, he'd been subbed already. I imagine he's went down the tunnel to the dressing room for something or whatever to get changed. He's probably, I don't know what stage it was at. Was he showered and, and changed by that point? I'm not sure. I couldn't tell <laughs> if his hair had been slicked back, gelled and washed. I mean, like our good friend Anthony Joseph on Twitter says, um, football without phones is nothing. But um, let's let's talk about the Motherwell game. It was, it was built up, this game, all about Neil Lennon and a must win and... You know, if he if he didn't win this game, would the you know the Celtic board kind of call time on Lennon's career? But you were there, Laura, and talk us through the game. Do I have to? Yes. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um. Th- there was a lot of talk before this about Lennon, and uh, again, I think w- what we've said in previous weeks of let's all just calm down. There's, there's no crisis at Celtic. Celtic are a very good team, a very, very good team. And as well as I think Motherwell did play, um, I know the scoreline doesn't show it, but um, a few sloppy mistakes, a few things that let the side down, um, I think the scoreline did flatter Celtic. But in saying that, they are just a very good team. They are, they are better than Motherwell. And you have to hold your hands up and just admit that the, in, in the end. Um, I don't think it's fair to be talking about Lennon under pressure at this time. He's shown that he's managed to, to, to kind of get the players back on side again, sort things out, whatever issues were going on. Bearing in mind, there were very difficult games he was playing in Europe, Rangers, Aberdeen. And Motherwell, was just, Motherwell didn't pose as big a threat, and unfortunately, <laughs> to Celtic on the day. It's funny that Laura says that... Uh... You just have to accept that Celtic are better and you take the result. I thought Motherwell should have tried harder. 
<laughs> oh, JJ, I'm not going to get sucked into this. <laughs> no, I'm not trying. I'm not saying anything. But they did. They did try harder in the second half, JJ. Stephen Minkowski pointed out that there's um, zero wins from 15 for Stephen Robinson against Celtic, and uh, like he's one of the best managers in the league. Just to show that how impossible a job it really is mm-hmm. to to do anything over Celtic or Rangers at the moment. Um, second half, uh, I thought Motherwell were good in the way that they, they were quite aggressive higher up the pitch, but not the same way as Hamilton, but when you do that, you leave space further behind, and that's what Celtic were kind of using to, to get out of them. They were pushing for the, the equaliser, weren't they, from Declan Gallagher's mm-hmm. header, which was superb. What um, a header. A goal. I mean, there was quite a lot of quite good goals in this game. Elianusi's header... Um, for his hat trick was pretty good as well, but yeah, when Motherwell were pressing for that equaliser, that's what left them so so short at the back. Um, yeah, it was but- definitely it was the third one that killed it because, that, as you say, I mean, Motherwell did have chances. They had a, they had a penalty claim in the first half, they had a, a handball claim in the second half, and then they just didn't take their chances when they were actually creating them. There was like a shot cleared off the line as well, mm-hmm. and. Yeah. It did they feel like there weren't great chances, in fairness. No, they, they were, themselves. but it did feel like the confidence was building and the momentum was building in, into the second half. And when when Gallagher did score, it felt like right, this is our like this is a chance. It's now or never. Let's go and get the second goal. But it was it was mere minutes later that it was another silly mistake at the back, and Celtic killed it off. And by that point, the fourth was irrelevant because the third had had secured the points for them. I wonder I wonder kind of if, if this will be the real change in direction that Celtic have been looking for for most of the season, even though they have been kind of getting rid of teams. But we expe- we kind of thought, or a few people thought, that Celtic had turned a corner after the Aberdeen League Cup game, um, after the good 45 minutes that they played against Lille. That proved not fruitful. Um, and I wonder if this is going to be it now. But a few odd comments from Neil Lennon um, that have came out, particularly after the Sparta Prague game, when he said there has to be a culture change, um, which I've always thought. I, I, as soon as he said that, I thought that was really bizarre because it's the coaches that set the culture at the club, right? As soon as they come into a club, they either change what the previous culture was under the previous regime, and they 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 start something fresh. You don't do this. You don't try and change something um, halfway through your second season at a club. It seems a bit bizarre. And the second one. Um, from Neil was saying we had a meeting on Saturday and went through the game again Sparta Prague which is something I haven't done in a long time is that is that a bizarre thing I, I kind of assumed that you would maybe not as a full squad but as a, as individuals you'd maybe pull them into your your office and say let's watch the game let's see what went wrong let's see how you can be better yeah I'm sure they are I think there's a few things to say on this like the, the culture change will be that these players have won so much for so long that they, I wonder how much actual hands-on analysis and coaching they really need. So Lennon kind of, I think you treat them as grown-ups, probably the wrong word to use, but you let them get on with what, you get them let, you let them get on with what they're doing and then you uh, correct things when you see them. But because of the way things are going and there are clear things going wrong, this must have been a full session where they sit with analysis team and they take apart different sections. A lot of managers, you'll see it in those Amazon documentaries, you'll see them do that kind of thing. And it might be the case that Lennon hasn't had to do it because the players set the standards. But if the players are sort of falling short of what he thinks they should be at, maybe mentally or whatever they're doing on the pitch, then that's a way to correct it. On kind of both points, I'm not sure. Do, you, do Is culture really defined by what the coaches bring to a club or is culture just what the club stands for in, in it's itself? It's both, though, isn't it? It's like because 
your players and your coaches must put it in Yeah, together. I mean, I've, I've worked at two football clubs now. Um, I worked at Celtic at the start of my career and then I'm at Motherwell now. And to be honest, both times, I was there for the whole of Lennon's first reign in charge and I've it's the whole time I've been at Motherwell. Stephen Robinson's been in charge. So I've never actually experienced a change in manager and coaches to see just what happens um, and how things feel different. So I'm not really sure. But both clubs I've been at, there's been a very set culture and a set feel and you know what the culture is of the club. Um, and it would be very interesting and it's so big for that to change that I don't think it's something that a, a coach can just say, oh, I'm going to change the culture over the course of a couple of days. I suppose there's there's the quote from Scott Brown that once said after the change from Ronnie Dyla to Brendan Rodgers that Brendan Rodgers had brought the professionalism of the club up. So he brought professionalism back to them. So I don't know, that's just one thing that I remember from back in those times. It could just be a little slip in standards. Just, uh, I, don't, I don't think he would mean to correct the culture within two days, fix it, but if you set it, you know, steer it back in the right direction. If there, it was certainly there before, and maybe it's not there at the moment. That's just what he's trying to reset. One one thing I would like to point out with Celtic, um, and this might sound horrendously biased since I'm um, the, the number one David Turnbull cheerleader, but <laughs> where is he? Why is David Turnbull not getting a chance right now? It's absolutely beyond me how Celtic can take this talent, spend this money when they are so desperately in need of an attacking option who can create and score goals. Well, here's, here's, and he doesn't here's, even come off the bench. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. You, you know, if you, Celtic and Rangers are always compared with each other. It just, just happens. And when you look at the fact that um, Steven Gerrard can turn around and make five changes from Thursday and Celtic make two changes uh, with Duffy and Edouard going off, I, 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 I could be wrong. Maybe it's a level of trust. Gerard has more players that he can trust to go in and do a job, whereas Lennon's having to make do with a, a highly depleted squad and injuries. So he's trying to make do, but at the same time, how many how many players can he try out? And I think he's really struggling. Christopher Ayer's already injured after the game, so with another groin injury. You just don't know what's going on in the background. Yeah, I mean, it probably is an element of trust because he's never really had his chance. So he doesn't know what he can do, but then I would say, well, in that case... Stop wasting his talent, loan him back to Motherwell, and we'll give him some games. It's just so unlike a team from the old firm to buy up another club's talented young player and put him <laughs> on the bench. I've never come across that before. Anyway, <laughs> well, let's go to a break then. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Aberdeen moved above Hibs with a 2 0 win over Jack Ross's side on Friday night. Derek McInnes' men now up to third. Um, JJ, Aberdeen's second best start to a season in the last 20 years. Six games unbeaten in the Premiership. And Scott Wright just, you know, working for that new contract. The Scottish David Silva. You see the way he's playing? Oh, Honestly, it's brilliant, mate. It's really weird, because like, in my head he's a winger, uh, or like an yeah. inside forward, but straight up. But playing through the middle, and he's getting all these 
he's just, I think his confidence is just up and he just knows like he trusts where the ball's going to go when he touches it and it's uh, mm-hmm. yeah it's really making a big difference uh, yeah decent performance Aberdeen for the first bit and then it kind of turned into two teams mashing into each other in the middle of the pitch no great uh, structure to it <laughs> just two teams shelling the ball lots of fouls although <laughs> none of them are really dirty just little silly knocks and either side of the pitch it's weird yeah it's a hard game Hibs weren't totally outplayed or anything but Aberdeen probably deserved to win that makes sense yeah, I understand. I have to say, because it's in bold, and if producer Charlie puts it in bold, I've got to say it. Aberdeen committed 23 fouls, JJ. You did say yeah. there was a lot. That's as many fouls as both teams made in the Ross County Livingston game. Just 11 fouls from Hibs. I went and watched the game back uh, today when I read that, because I don't remember seeing that when I watched it live. <laughs> and I watched it back, and I don't, I don't see where all the fouls are. I thought they would be tactical, like, really obvious. But it's mostly when two people come together, like a, a header or something like that, and the referee blows a whistle. And I think Jack Ross even said something about the referee. Not, I don't know if he meant it was unfair in his team, but I think he was getting, he's just, he's just kept interrupting the game. So there were two big, two big moments. Well, one really big moment um, in the game where I think it was already one 0 to Aberdeen when Martin Boyle looked like he'd been pushed to the ground when he was kind of already on the ground from Matty Kennedy. Penalty for you guys, Laura. I'll, I'll take it away from the bias, JJ Bull. Um, I would need to see it back. On first thought, I would have said penalty, um, but I haven't seen back all the angles of it, so I'm going to play the the safe manager card here. It's wise. I've seen them <laughs> given, but I, I don't think it was. I think it's just yeah, it wasn't quite. Why? Right. I, I don't get it. Like how not? Why is it not? He, Matt Kennedy puts his hands on his back. He's getting up to get the ball, and Kennedy goes basically stops him from doing that. How is that not a foul? Because I don't think he puts enough pressure on him to make that happen. So Boyle dies? He's not a dive either, no. He's playing for it. <laughs> it's oh, like, see, like, I can, he's I can... playing for it, the safe in between. Yeah, no, maybe. I don't, th- I don't think he's playing for it either. I, I just think it's not a foul. It's it's weird. Like I, I, could, I could see why it would be given, but I don't think it is, if that makes sense. So, so, this is, this, so Jack Ross came out after the game and said, I was poor. Uh, my team were poor, but equally the referee was poor. Um, so that's why he, he, he's trying to take the heat off a little bit. Um, but uh, what Jack Ross has been in charge for his for a year, he's he's still done a good job. I think I think well, he's lost twice to Aberdeen now. It's hard for him because he's trying to get them over that gap. They've not been back in the Premiership for that long, um, and it seems like they they should be they should be doing a bit better against Aberdeen. His his numbers are, are quite. Even across the board, so he's he's won twenty, drawn eight, and lost eleven. I think since he he took charge. So I mean, there's not really a kind of standout there, um, or of, of consistency, but it's very much a work in progress. I did see um, there was a Hibs fan on Twitter kind of slating him, saying he's not done a good job, and then there were there were fans of other clubs were then replying saying, "No, I think he's done an excellent job," which is interesting. Is that some is that something a kind of perspective from the outside that he's doing really well, but inside fans are still frustrated. Fans just want their team to win every single game, and they yeah, can't. so they're like, just kind of greedy in that sense. I totally agree that he, so he's got them safely to fourth. I think Hibs are dead on fourth, and that's where I thought we'd be before the season, and that's probably where they're going to end up. They're doing well, and in context, I don't think it's really fair to say that they should do, do better against Aberdeen. Uh, if you look at underlying stats again, our old friend XG, the nerd stat, it's uh, they're pretty much even, like 0.7 each, basically 0.7 to 0.77. Hibs actually had a slight advantage. Like it's not, and you think the goals that they conceded. There was the one that uh, 
Ferguson shelled the ball off a boy's back. Portius punted it off Lewis Ferguson, I should say, sorry. And yeah, then bizarre decision, r- rolls through. Well, he just gets, yeah, just doesn't get the clearance right. And Cosgrove scores. Like, it's not. The goal Scott Wright was scored decent enough. Oh, I, it's I just, disagree it, with that. They were so I think, even. I think, I think the second goal was a real error from Portius because he tries to shell it out to the, the left flank when the ball had just came from that area. When it was there was hardly there was plenty of room on 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 his right, so I don't know why he was even looking that way. No wonder he had it off a player. But um, I just wonder are Hibs maybe were they affected by the um, defeat against Hearts? Because we got asked the question from Grant Campbell, who asked the Totally Show: Is Hibernian season in danger of petering out? An abject display at Pataudry and losing to the Edinburgh rivals over the last few days isn't good reading. Unlucky in the cup semi-final. Fourth is probably where they should be. It's the level they should get to. I don't know what more you could really... <laughs> yeah, this, this seems yeah. a bit kind of like the, the whole Celtic crisis suddenly because they've lost to some big teams. I, I don't think Ames is enough to start worrying about a season petering out. There's a lot of... of yes, yeah, it's, it's a marathon, not a race, come on. There's a lot of hills ahead. But no, they're, they're clearly going to be a strong team for the season. Well, elsewhere in the Premiership on Friday, there were 300 fans at Ross County um, against Livingston. 1-1 in that game. The Highlands were put in uh, Tier 1 in the Scottish Government's new restrictions, which allows limited crowds in stadiums. So we're joined now by Kenny McLennan, who is the supporter liaison officer for Ross County. So, Kenny, it must have been great to have have fans there, but, um, you know, the chairman kind of hoping to get double the number of fans, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, we'd, we'd already sort of previously asked for 750, but um, things are capped at 300 at the moment. Um, it just seems to be the way they're doing things. Um, the control body um, behind these decisions. Uh, so for our cup game on Saturday as well, that's uh, coming up, um, it's still 300. So um, we're grateful to get you know, any kind of number back, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, we were, ho- we were hoping for a lot more and we could easily accommodate it the way the stadium's set up. It's all been set up ready for uh, people being socially distanced and, um, you know, they've got, like, hand gel, automatic hand gel uh, machines everywhere. and um, So it's it's all very good, actually. I actually felt safer there on Friday than I do in Tesco's. <laughs> <laughs> how, how was it? How was it for you? Just, like, the, the experience of having fans back... Yeah. Absolutely tremendous, you know, and I really think it uh, it, it filtered onto the field because you could see the guys at the end, you know, they all came over and clapped because, you know, um, you could hear it, just people shouting people's names and things like that. You know, obviously you're you're trying to keep that at a minimal because you're obviously trying not to shout, and uh, it's a bit strange sitting there with a mask on and stuff. And but but to be fair, everybody that was selected because it was obviously done on a ballot, you know, um, their season ticket holders. So oh, right. um, everybody was um, everybody was very grateful to be there, and you could see it in their faces. You know, I think sometimes people forget how important uh, um, you know football can be. You know, but um, you could you could just see it. You know, because we did it. The first test event we did was with Celtic, our home match v Celtic, and that was basically we opened that up to Staggy's army members who are, it's like a, a sort of fan initiative similar to my Jers and um, the red DNA at Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a loyalty program. Um, so for everybody that had signed up to that, we opened it up to them as a thank you for, for so that Celtic game, the ballot entries were basically just mainly Staggy army members who had a season ticket. 
Um, so that went very well. But this one was almost like seen as the return tier one area in the Highlands, seen as the return of supporters to football. Um, so we'd basically done the ballot again, but this time we sort of kind of did it on a household basis so people could take their household so you know if they're if they're if they're obviously season ticket holders and there's kids involved as well then they could bring along a family and you could see people coming along with their kids and stuff and it was just like such a such a special day for them you know an evening for them to come along and uh, everybody the feedback's been brilliant you know from people saying they felt very safe and it was well organized so i think overall we're, we're very pleased and you know, we, we, we feel that each each one we do is like a learning exercise because obviously things are quite strict with regards to safety and track and trace and everything else. So, yeah, it's, it's quite challenging. And we only found out on Wednesday late on in the afternoon. So, Well, did you have your drum out? <laughs> no, I think I told you the last time that 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 uh, that's been retired a wee bit. Oh, because of course it, it you got, did. I'm you sorry, broke I it. you broke it, I, didn't you? I, I, that's right. Well remembered. Yeah, it was Thanks. burst. And Jamie uh, put in that that, that equaliser against Dundee United. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, it's 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 had an outing. They've got some younger guys to take the drum and actually um, trying to sort of gen- generate, get them to sort of generate a bit of atmosphere. So I'm trying to pass it down, you know. <laughs> I guess drumming's allowed in the stadiums, isn't it? You can't have singing and shouting or things like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no mention of it at the moment. I mean, obviously, you know, it's quite strict with regards to what comes into the stadium. So you know, like people aren't allowed to take bags. Because obviously you're not wanting to touch anything and, and have to check it. So yeah, the drum. I don't know if a drum would be allowed at the moment because obviously, when I used to go to the away games, um, they used to check the drum to see if there was anything inside it. Oh, <laughs> like a half bottle or oh, and how many cans of tenants fit inside uh, the drum? Just, <laughs> just, just give it a shake. <laughs> exactly. Aye, crazy, but there you Kenny, go. you were saying you're trying not to shout and stuff. Um, does it feel heavily policed? Do you feel like if you were to shout, you'd have someone breathing down your... You're not literally breathing down your neck, you're not allowed to, but like a steward would be, would be over to give you into trouble? Well, actually, <laughs> let me answer that. Let me answer that because I remember watching the highlights, you could clearly hear a stressed out Staggies fan, female shouting. I think there was a Livingston on the, on the attack and Ross County playing football in the six-yard box <laughs> and uh, some woman goes, ah, just kick it, come on! <laughs> Brilliant. Love that. That's, That's the tension and drama you get with fans. Uh, I think I remember that now. You've just, you know, just I recognise the voice there. You did. Uh, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um no, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not heavily policed. It's advised basically that uh, people shouldn't really be, you know, shouting or whatever. But the fact you've got a mask on, it's very difficult for a steward to find out who was it did the shouting. <laughs> you can't see anybody's mouth, so so you could just say, "No, it was him." <laughs> but uh, aye. no, it, it's, it's excellent, and it's excellent to hear people. It's just excellent to hear, even just the clapping. You know, just 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 something that's a bit not like instead of this canned stuff that they've got at these empty stadiums all Brings up and down the life. country. You know, oh, I absolutely. And I mean, I've, I've spoken to Midge and a few of the other guys, the players, and that, and and they hate it. They hate playing in empty stadiums. You know, it's just there's nothing to feed off. You know, other than the shouting that goes on on the on the park. You know, it's it's not the same. It's definitely it's need it's needed. You know, and it's obviously obviously we've to we've to keep the safety and. 
people's well-being in mind but you know the, the sooner we can get things back to a wee bit of normality it's outdoors everybody's wearing masks there's hand gel everywhere you know people are following procedures you know I, I, I was actually watching people you know coming in and out of the stadium and also picking their tickets up and stuff and everybody was being really really good you know the first one the, the Celtic one kind of everybody turned up at the same time so there was a bit of a queue but again everybody was keeping their distance everybody had masks on they were all just following the rules so you know I, I think we're lucky in, in respect you know in in, in um I'm not saying it's the same everywhere in Scotland, but certainly predominantly what I've seen, everybody seems to be pretty much towing the line. So let's let's just turn it to Livingston. Um, Gary Holt said it was a return to Livy getting in people's faces. Um, he was pretty happy with the point, wasn't he, JJ? Uh, yes, it sounds like he was. Um, big problem they've got this season is conceding goals from set pieces which is the kind of thing you'd think they'd work on the training ground and there's mm. no way that Gary Holt hasn't identified it. But they've let in seven this season. They conceded seven directly from them. I mean, they've conceded 11 from open play. There's a lot mm. more to work on than just the set pieces. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. The good thing for Livingston is it does end a run of three straight defeats. It was, you know, for it to be 1-1, it was a fair reflection of the game. And the yeah, one thing sure. that, that, that Livingston have to do is they just have to try and you know take the positives of, of gaining a point from home. Um, because it hasn't been a good few weeks for them, um, but maybe maybe that will change. I, I still think for Ross County though, it will get harder because I think their next three games against uh, the likes of I think it's Kilmarnock, then they've got Rangers and Aberdeen. I think that the game against Hamilton on the nineteenth of December is going to be really really massive for them because they're not scoring goals. Um, maybe the fans will help them in that respect. They are well, fouling people. <laughs> they are. They're they're twen- that, Twenty-eight apparently. yellow cards and three reds. It's the most of anyone in the league this year. So it's not like they're well, not fighting. They're not. They're not. Yes. Not working hard for it. You know. Well, let's talk about St Johnston one, Kilmarnock nil in the fog in Perth. Uh, Danny McNamara scoring the goal here, uh, but there was maybe talk of it coming off. It was a cross into the box. Maybe coming off the the arm of Michael O'Halloran. Uh, Did you say that correctly? Well, no idea because you can't see anything on the highlights because it's, <laughs> it's covered in fog. True. There's a few yeah. of them. Your God. guess is as good as ours. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to watch this one on three speeds doesn't matter. As soon as you get to the second half, you can't see anything. It's not the worst game in the fog, but we'll get to that. Um, what did you think of this game, though? So I think we were saying last week that uh, both these teams, both Johnson and, and uh, Kilmarnock, tend to beat <laughs> tend to beat teams that they are better than, and there's not very many of them. So uh, whoever win this, you'd work out who would be the better one. And it turns out the answer this time is St. Johnston, but it could have gone uh, anyway. It's one of these games that could have gone absolutely any way at all. Um, well, yeah, I think it's interesting because, what was it, since since St. Johnston played the league, they won their two League Cup games. They were on a miserable run and, and they're now unbeaten in the last three games um, off of those two Cup game wins. And I just think that Cup games can be a confidence booster, right? Maybe it's just mid table. Uh, that's what mid table teams do, though. They win some, they lose some. They're they're tight. They don't ever really control games. They don't ever really get thrashed. It's just middling. I do feel like this is a kind of we're seeing a turning point for St Johnson, though. Um, I feel like this was a a different team from what we've seen at the start of the season. It's a really solid performance. I think they're kind of starting to turn things around and prove a lot of people wrong, probably including myself, who kind of doubted them a few weeks back, saying that they were playing so poorly. They look solid at the back. They're they're unbeaten five. They're they're scoring what was it something like fifteen goals now. Um, not conceded many at all, and they absolutely schooled Kelly. Uh, this is this was a good good result for them. 
it was a good result. I think for Kilmarnock, they only they only had one real uh, close effort, which was um, I think Kurt Brockfoot hit the bar um, from a header. I just I just think they were maybe let down from a lot of people, particularly Nicky Kabamba. I've kind of said I've never really been truly convinced about. I think he was kind of bossed a little bit, um, and for a guy who's you know, so strong on the ball. I, I, I don't know what happened to him in this game. There's a slight change of shape from um, Kamarnik, which could be the, the, the change. So they changed to a straight 4-3-3 in this. Played with two forwards either side of Kabamba, which makes sense because you knew Johnson are going to play three centre-backs. So if you just play the two, you're outnumbered. But if you play three forwards, um, then you might have more of a chance. But, I mean, I'll get into really nerdy stuff again, but their average positions look not much different to when Kelly play a, a 4-4-2 anyway. And uh, like on this game, to prove my point, well, not prove it because you can't prove it with XG, <laughs> but it's uh, they're just exactly the same. St. Johnston 0.86, Kilmarnock 0.74. They're just so evenly matched. It could have been any score. It could have been nil nil, one nil, one all. It's there's just two teams completely even. Well, it was nil nil in Paisley, um, and there was plenty more fog in this game. Uh, St. Mirren <laughs> taking on Dundee United. Uh, we definitely didn't see much of this game. I loved it when uh, Laura sent us in a, a a text on the WhatsApp group. Just, just white. <laughs> just a just a big white sheet of fog. Um, I'd love to see anyone happen in this game. I have not got a clue. It's such a, it's such a shame because it was Simeon's first game in five weeks and we couldn't see it. <laughs> um, but given the fact that it was fog, uh, foggy, foggy. Um, it was difficult for both teams but I think that's Dundee United now unbeaten in five games um, three of those being nil-nil draws I just don't know what's going on with them it seems like they're good at the back and now they're just it's like the opposite of St Mirren like St Mirren were no St Mirren last season were good at the back and couldn't score goals Dundee United and St Mirren are exactly the same team I think well, if they don't have, if their attacking players aren't that amazing, and Shankland we, th- we think is good because he's played international level and was great in the championship last season, they're trying to score. It's just that they're just making sure they don't concede first. I mean, their XG was tiny. I mean, St. Mirren had the advantage in this game, but Dundee United were limited to shots. I think it's mostly outside the box. I think it might all be outside the box. He had three shots on goal. Yeah, all outside the box. Two of them are blocked. So, like, in fact, no, two of them are off target. One of them on target. Just not an awful lot going on there, but they didn't lose. Yeah. I think it could be time for like McMullen and, and Sporl as well to actually start in games. Now that McMullen's back, I feel like he showed a lot more attacking threat than United have as a team in recent games. Yeah. So that's a positive to take from it is if he starts to kind of fit into that starting 11, things could start turning around for them. But I mean, as I kind of feel like I've been saying it for a few weeks now, United are limping through results. They're They're getting points and they're succeeding. It's just not very pretty to watch. And they're no, in fifth and I, place. I, I, I don't think I don't think I don't think Mickey Mellon was ever professing that he he would create uh, you know exciting attacking football. He said he wanted to to create a brand of winning football. Um, but if we if we finish off with St Mirren and just say Jim Goodwin should probably feel encouraged by the, his team's performance in this game. They had a lot of chances. I know it didn't come off, um, but I think I think St Mirren showed a lot of fight uh, for Goodwin in the end. But um, we should move on because coming up next. We're going to talk about the that Scotland game that's pretty important, and we've got a pretty awesome guest as well, uh, Mr. Kevin Gallagher. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. 
Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Hendry. Well played by Collins. Gallagher. Gallagher has scored. Gallagher again with the finishing touch. We're delighted to be joined now by a man who played at three major tournaments for Scotland. He also scored against Latvia back in 97 to take the Tartan Army to France in 1998. It's Kevin Gallagher. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, and today's climate. <laughs> we've, we've just been talking about um, Dundee United, Euro Club. Um, they're keeping plenty of clean sheets, but they could do with uh, a bit of your experience up front. Well, it looks that way. But, I mean, they put a lot of things on to, to Lauren Shankland, didn't they? Uh, mm. And he got an injury and he'd come back for injury and you just keep your fingers crossed that he can find the form again. Uh, but that's that's football for you. Uh it's a hard, I mean, it's a, a difficult week and the start of the season reasonably well. So for me, uh, you know, it's, it's they'll hit the, a barren spell, but they'll pick themselves back up and uh, allow me to continue. And I think today's about survival in this league and Mickey Mellon will, will certainly try and get the best out of the boys and, and, and get them to advance uh, as high up the table as they can. Uh, younger listeners uh, might not remember but you were part of the Dundee United team that reached the UEFA Cup final in 1987. Uh, you scored an absolute belter against Barcelona uh, <laughs> on route to the final. I think you set up Redford as well in the semi against Mönchengladbach. I mean, what was that run like? I mean, I think you were one of the youngest players in the team then, back then. I, I was, yeah. Uh, we had younger players in the squad as well, like, but uh, to perform on the night, I was like the youngest player against Barcelona at Tannadice and <laughs> You know, it was it was amazing. You know, uh, to be honest, I was <laughs> myself. Uh, it was the best, that's the best answer I can say. And when you when they're playing against them, but we knew everything about Barcelona. We knew that they weren't playing well that season. We knew their team. We knew who they were running with. We knew every single player. Uh, so we kind of briefly went over them. Uh, but it was down to us and and the way Jim done it. He believed that, and he made us believe that we could beat anybody. And that was it, and the first game at Tannadice couldn't have started any better, you know what I mean? A sh- throw in, horrible first touch for Paul Sturrock, <laughs> and something that I'll never ever know whether I meant it or not, ended up in the back of the net. Barcelona finding out now about the Tannadice roar. And a goal! A complete freak! From Gallagher. He just aimed to play it across the goal and it dropped in. Kevin, you're here today because you're an ambassador for Football Aid, which is a charity raising money for the last 20 years. Um, do you want to talk us through a little bit of that? Yeah, it, it was really weird because I retired in 2002 and I think they kicked off the year before. And obviously when people got a hold of you, your name and your number and things like that, and they speak to you, uh, it was a case of... Uh, having a chat and I must admit it appealed to me just the fact is that the setup of what they wanted to do and what the charity was for and and what it was going towards as well because it wasn't just 
the, the diabetes charities. It was going towards the charities of the football clubs as well. So the money was getting raised for lots of different things. And, and I thought, that's I think it's a fantastic idea. And, and, and Blackburn were raising monies for two different charities that year as well. So there was three charities split the money. So when when I got asked uh, by Craig at that time, I'll be back, um, Stuart Maguire, I think it was at the time, just before David, and got asked to, to, to be part of it, um, I thought it'd be fantastic. It's something to go back. And as I say to the fans, and I always say to the fans, like, you guys gave me stick to terraces for, for when I had bad games. This is my turn, so don't have a bad game. So uh, I kind of got a reputation through the, the half-time team talk, shall I say, of, having a little rant now and again but it's uh, it's brilliant it's constructive and I must admit you know for for all the all the times and all the years that I've done it at Blackburn Rovering it's now 17 years I think I've been doing it for something like that uh, and the friends I've made outside football and not only that but knowing these guys and the friendships that they've made from guys that, that don't even support Blackburn but wanted to play on Ewood Park and, and they came and they played and and they've just made friendships for life and these people are still keeping in touch and that's why I think it's been going for strength after strength after strength through the football clubs and it's kind of hard for us as, as pros because we go in and we have to play fullback. You know what I mean? I, I've done that in my <laughs> career. It's horrible. But, uh, Is that annoying for you? <laughs> It is because I'm not saying I was. I worked hard defensively when I was a player, but I'm very attacking minded. I like going forward, and it, and it hasn't changed. You know, I'm the right old age of 36 now, uh, and I'm still like that. So it's, it's good. That. I enjoy it. It's brilliant. Kevin, let's let's turn our attention to Scotland. Um, obviously, you scored one of the two goals um, the last time we clinched qualification. Um, now. That's probably something that every player in the current squad is dreaming of this week. I've, as a devoted Tartan Army member, I've actually never seen us qualify. Um, so just kind of, how did it feel? Like, how does it feel in that game against Latvia to know you've done it and you're going to the tournament? Well, we didn't really actually know about it uh, because there was still, I think Spain had to play a match or something like that later on, which 99% of the time it's it's a done deal, but we went into the game and, and Craig, no, we, as I said, we were nervous. There was no doubt about it. We needed to get a goal um, to settle our nerves uh, and play well. And it was, we started with a nervous performance. And, and, and that was inevitable uh, because it was a massive match and it was a must-win match. And we know even if we must win it, we're still waiting on another team doing us a favour. Um, but we went out and, and we'd done the business. And, and to me, that was the main thing. Uh, but I must admit, it was probably one of the most nervous games you ever want to start. And even when I scored the header, you know what I mean? I was even scared that when I went into the rebound that I might head it over the bar. Uh, and and it, these things were going through, flying through your head. And, and that was the weirdest thing. I think we relaxed after the first goal and, and we seen what we were all about. You know, we seen us attack the Latvians and you seen us, I mean, the second goal for me was better. You know what I mean? I just, I just wish it just went under the crossbar when I chipped the goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only thing. Uh, when Jukebox headed that away, I, I tell you what, it was, uh, it was. Come on, then this could be party time now. Uh, but why is Gordon Jury called Jukebox? Why has he got Jukebox's nickname? 
oh come on now you, you can't be 16 years of age doing this so jukebox jury is a legend isn't it it's uh, the old jukebox jury from well that's way back in my early days so because <laughs> you're coached by steve clark at newcastle um I think you said the other day that you you feel like he's putting a club spirit to international levels. Can you see it? Do you see that happening just now? Yeah, you can see it. If you're going to take it in for Scotland in the way that we are, we don't have an abundance of top individual talent. We've got good players that when they play together, they play really well. Uh, they're a good squad and a good bunch of guys. And I think Steve's now trying to do that. And I think he's taking it the way that Craig done it. I mean, Craig went from Andy, taking Andy Roxburgh's job and carried it on and says, right, this is going to be what we're doing. And, it's, and it was like, almost like a club. It was like you were playing for a club team. And everybody got on. And you could probably say there was probably 16 regulars and 10 people that were doing well within the clubs that would get into the squads. Um, and it went along like that. And, you know, and getting through and when you're doing well, you got picked. When you were injured, you never got picked. And it was just simple. The spirit, as I said, was very just like your club. And I think Steve thinks that way. I think he wants to get the players to believe in each other and play with each other and help each other along, really, because I think, for me, that's what Scotland's about. We don't have Ronaldo, Rivaldo. We don't have people like that. I mean, individual talents that we can rely on. We need these individual talents to play as a team. And when we do, as we, as we have done, look at the results it's bringing us. It's fantastic. Well, if you want to find out more, um, you can get bidding at footballaid.com. Obviously, this is a charity that includes you know, help for diabetes research and mental health um, through the likes of Heads Together, Mind and Calm. So find out more at footballaid.com. That's F-O-O-T-B-A. All right, time now to hear from our friends Paddy Power, courtesy of Super Producer Charlie. Before we deep dive into the Scotland game then, Charlie, give us some goddamn odds. Well, I would expect these odds might change between now and Thursday as we find out who got on a plane, who didn't get on a plane, did Rachel get on the plane, are there snakes on that plane? (laughs) But at the time of recording... Looking at what will happen inside 90 or even beyond 120 minutes, Serbia are the favourites with Paddy Power to qualify at 2-7. to seven. Scotland are 5-2 to two to qualify. Steve Clark's side are longer odds to win within 90 minutes. That's 9-2. to two. Scotland are 500-1 to one to win Euro 2020 because only a mug would wait for them to actually qualify before banking on them to go all the way. <laughs> Which reminds me, JJ... Your favourite player, Andrew Considine, is 25-1 to 1 to be the first goal scorer in Belgrade. The favourite with Paddy Power for a first Scottish scorer is Laurence Shankland at 6-1. to 1. Uh, He hasn't scored in his last five for Dundee United, but if he finds the net first on Thursday, Scotland fans will be saying, Thanks, Shanks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, you can stop. So Scotland-Serbia, what are we thinking? There's some there's some news about um, the Italian authorities kind of stopping some players that might be able to play. Laura, have you heard anything new? 
Yeah, so the story over the weekend was local health boards aren't letting players join their national teams from the likes of Frontina, Genoa, Inter Milan, Lazio. Werder Bremen as well were one not releasing players, which affects the Serbian squad as well. But there's been reports today that Sergei and Kolarov um, are both with the team already. Kolarov already is actually injured, so even though he's there, he might not play. Milenkovic and Val Vlahovic, um, excuse my Serbian pronunciations, are still in Italy just now um, and negotiations are ongoing to get them into Serbia. So those two still hang in the balance. Um, so, yeah, we don't really know who we're going to be coming up against. Um, and it could be another kind of Czech Republic scenario of who are, who are the starting 11 going to be. Um, it's still scary, though. Still, well, still very we know, nervous. We know we're not going to have Grant Hanley now. He's now not going to be playing. Oh no! And Ryan Fraser as well. Ryan Fraser, yeah. Both hamstring injuries, it seems. Um, but and also, I mean, time of recording, uh, Monday evening. It's around the time for COVID test results. So let's kind of keep everything crossed that nothing happens in the Scotland squad. And if so, there's no need for um, isolation due to track and trace as well. Like last time, where we lost three key players. So it's a wee bit squeaky bum time in that sense. It's going to be squeaky bum time for the whole 90 minutes. I mean, could this could this go to penalties? Serbia haven't really been that great. You know, I know they've beat Norway, but other than that, I, I don't think they've... They've only won, like, one out of their last six in the yeah. last 12 months. They're not that good. I've been watching them today. I've been going right through some of their games to work out what they're like. Uh, decent players, if they make it. Like Milinkovic-Savic is the, the standout. They've got... Alexander Mitrovic is a... A lot of people know about him. A very aggressive kind of target man. They play a similar system to what Scotland have been lining up with. It's actually pretty much the same as Aberdeen's been playing. It's like a 3-4-2-1. They don't create an awful lot. It's very defensively sound. The games tend to kind of grind out and they take advantage of one little mistake. It tends to be. They're not They're not amazing. They're good technical players, but the team, like they're trying to work out how they're meant to play as well because they were playing a different formation for a long time, a different system, like a 4-4-2 for a long time. That has changed in the last six or seven games to be in this this different shape they're in now. But, I mean, they conceded two to Luxembourg. They uh, drew a Ukraine, who weren't amazing either. They got done by Russia. They drew a Turkey. They only beat Norway in extra time. It's the kind of game that I think Scotland absolutely could win. But <laughs> Oh, God, you're making me nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it, it depends on how they, how they line up. Like What's really important is how... Steve Clark lines up because like Serbia Scotland haven't really created many chances and have been very defensive recently and I think you need to work out especially what he does with the midfield because if you're playing against a two or maybe it's a box midfield like two and the two behind the striker you've got to have players you can't have the same player a few times you can't, you can't I don't think you can have both Ryan Jack and Callum McGregor for example you need to have one of them you need to have a destroyer in there I, I, I want to see how he gets Christie in the team maybe where John McGinn goes but John McGinn plays behind the striker maybe Christie's the second striker but what about Armstrong, who's been doing so well for Southampton as well? You know, no, surely, surely you cannot change it. We, we just won three games, three massive games. And Steve Clark played the formation and the tactics and the shape in the September games to warm up for the October fixtures. He succeeded in that. So, so don't change the personnel either. I, I think the only player you have to change is obviously Fraser comes out, put yeah. in Ryan Christie because he's one of the best players in the country and go with like for like apart from that. One enforced change, but he has changed the midfield quite a bit in the last few games. Is it just trying to get that blend right? I think that's that the only was thing more that, he'll change. that was more rotational because of the three games in quick succession. I think. Yeah, but you saw different bits and pieces when he played different ones. 
Do you both so, yeah. think then that Scott McTominay will be playing in a back three? Yeah, I, I do. And I know that people will be looking to see how Tierney fits into that. But I just feel like he's settled on what he did last month and to him that it was successful. He was trying so hard to achieve that and it worked for him. Why fix what isn't broken? I like Kieran Tierney a lot. I think he's a great player. I'm just not convinced. If you play a back three and you get Tierney on one side and McTominay on the other, I just don't know how that's going to work no. out. I, I don't I want to gamble. I wonder if you, what you do with Adele Gallagher's played centre-back, the centre defender. Do you take him out and put McKenna back in? No, McKenna's definitely doing quite well? not. Definitely not. Well, then McKenna has to go maybe left centre-back, which means there's no place no, then, really, McKenna shouldn't, for Tierney. McKenna shouldn't play. <laughs> McKenna's not good enough to be playing in this game. Keep the same starting 10 plus Christie. Declan Gallagher did absolutely nothing wrong to so, make be dropped for this. <laughs> you're advocating Andy Constein ahead of Scott McKenna in the Scotland yes. 11? Yes, I want it to be exactly the same as the October fixtures. <laughs> I was so happy with what happened. Keep it. Do not change it. Do not put Scott McKinnon, please. Well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I didn't expect that, honestly. Hold on, would you have Constantine ahead of Kieran Tierney? I, I would based on the argument of it worked last month. I just think it's too important to be testing Tierney out. Tierney's not played for Scotland in so long that... You can't just shove him in and hope for the best. I know he's a world-class player, but I just want it to work. I want it to click, and I know that it has clicked in the past for Scotland, so let's just not fidget with it. Do we think um, the inclusion of Lee Griffiths is going to make an impact? I think Clark has said he's going to be his super sub. Yeah, that's almost certainly how he'll be used, yeah. I think, like Laura's saying, uh, Fraser's the one who'll get replaced up front. I think they'll probably put Christie in there because it gives you a bit of something. But you might want to have someone you can do a, just a lot of pointless running just to run himself into the ground up front so maybe not Christy you're basically using it on purpose just to wear them out Stevie may be a good choice for this actually and then and then get him off and you stick Griffiths on for like the final 20 final 25 to try and uh, get back in the game when we're inevitably losing 1-0 from a stupid free kick and uh, that'll be how we do it well let, look let's just hope please all of us just we can all just in the next podcast be coming back and celebrating the fact that Scotland have genuinely qualified for a major tournament for the first time since 1998. Scotland men, to be clear. Well, yes, sorry. JJ's made a good point. We have qualified before, um, but let's just hope the Scotland men can emulate the women um, and get get through. Because this is the thing, right? Okay, Laura, I was was in school. I was 10 years old um, when this all happened. And I cried in the first minute, not at how pleased I was to see Scotland in a major tournament, but because the paint was going into my eyes. I had a full saltire in my face and it was difficult to watch the game. But still, I cannot wait to just have that feeling of, of you know coming back next week and just celebrating the fact that we're in a major tournament. I just can't wait. I can't wait to see what Laura's response to Andy Constein being the at fault for the for the goal that knocked us out. He won't be. To be clear, I love Andrew Constein. Love him. Or could he could he have a that that a Gareth Southgate moment, a penalty? He takes the last one. Oh, he'd smash that top corner. As long as nobody does a Stuart Armstrong and passes it back in the ninety fourth minute. Let's keep the faith, everyone. Let's. Just hope that we are back here in a happy mood on Monday. Uh, but that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you, JJ. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Kevin Gallagher. And to the Little Kicks for our lovely theme song. 
loving the uh, Charlie Super Producer comedy segment and we'll be back next week. <laughs> Who knows what kind of mood we're going to be in. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Scottish Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.